You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. How do you go from a small fishing village in Ireland to coming to the U.S. and flipping over 350 homes, keeping some as rentals, and retiring in your early 40s? Well, our guest today is going to tell us how he did that. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Colin's been investing in the U.S. since 2009. During that time, he's bought and sold more than $100 million worth of real estate in the Tampa Bay area. He's an expert in foreclosure auctions, along with wholesaling, tax investing, note investing, private lending, and more. So Colin, welcome back to The Real Wealth Show. It's a pleasure to be here, Kathy. How are you? Um, it takes a lot to have the kind of expertise to, to be able to renovate dozens of homes at once and yes. deal with lots of investors and manage them. And so um, let's, let's just kind of go back to how you got started. I mean, did you expect you would be in real estate when you were younger? I didn't. I mean, nobody in my family, I'm originally from Ireland and nobody in my family was in real estate. I never knew anybody that owned rental properties or even, you know, owned businesses or anything like that. Um, I think my, kind of ambition started when I was in university and I got to spend eight months in New York when I was a young man and I worked for New York Life Insurance Company and that kind of opened my eyes, you know, literally from a fishing village. So going to New York City and working in Manhattan was quite a change and it really opened my eyes to the possibilities out there and it kind of opened my ambition a little bit. So after university, I went to London. This would have been back in kind of 2002 and three, and I started working for a company that did real estate exhibitions and real estate magazines. So I was a guy that was selling the adverts in the magazines and trying to convince people to come to the Manchester show, the Dublin show, the Liverpool show. And I got to travel all over the world, really, you know, all the places that wanted to attract British buyers. So the obvious ones like Spain and France, which sold a lot of vacation homes to British buyers, but also Eastern Europe and Central and South America and Florida. So it was a great kind of introduction as a young man to the real estate industry. And I met the developers, the realtors, the currency people and, and everyone else that was involved. So it was kind of a work hard, play hard introduction to it. And it was a lot of fun. Oh, it sounds like a lot of fun. Did you get to visit all those places? I did. I was traveling all the time. I mean, if I wasn't going to a show, you know, which would be like 30 weekends a year going to shows around the UK and Ireland, I was visiting uh, realtors and builders all over the world, which could be Turkey one month, Panama another month, Florida the next month. I could be driving up and down the coast of Spain the month after that, just trying to bring people to England and Ireland to sell their stuff to British buyers. So it was a great introduction to sales, but I wasn't obviously selling real estate myself. I was just hanging out with them all the time. And then one of the companies that I enjoyed working with were also London-based they were kind of pioneers in promoting emerging markets to British and Irish buyers. So they were the first people, for example, to sell real estate from Latvia and Lithuania and uh, you know places like Belize and Argentina to the British public. So I, I set up an office in Dublin for them and started promoting their stuff to the Irish market. And this would have been back in 2006. So we had a couple of good years, again, of traveling all over the world, promoting these exciting properties to mostly Irish buyers you know, taking the adverts in newspapers, doing hotel seminars, hiring people for an office. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, and real estate was was booming all across Europe back then, all over the world, really. This would have been, you know, 2006, seven, and getting into 2008. And then what? Uh, yeah, and then- Real estate had... stopped, stopped booming in the US. Was that true for the rest of the world? 
It was. I think it slowed down earlier in the US uh, and in Europe got a terrific hangover straight afterwards. I mean, we had Burr Stearns falling in March 08 and Lehman Brothers in September 08 and kind of somewhere in between those, that six month period, the business I was running just collapsed. I mean, the business model just evaporated. You know, we were promoting pre-construction properties in emerging markets and, and just the demand dried up. The financing obviously dried up. Builders were, were going out of business everywhere. Uh, and yeah, we had, had to close down the office. I had to fire a bunch of people at, you know, negotiate my way out of expensive leases. It was a very humbling experience. I, I thought I was great. I was kind of a high flying 26 or seven year old at the time. And it was, it was a very humbling experience for everybody, including people a lot more experienced than me. So yeah, I had a lot of people that, you know, owed me a ton of money in commissions. We had people that were reserving stuff that, that never got built. So it was a very chastening experience. And then the, the person that I, that I hired to work with me, David Shaw, who you know very well, um, we, we kind of sat down and we figured, well, what are we going to do now to keep the lights on, to pay our mortgages? And, and David, thankfully, had this idea. It was what well, he bought and sold, uh, I think, a single family home in Kissimmee, which is just near Orlando. So he had a little, he had his eye on, on the Florida market all along. And he had a little bit more experience than me in that market. So he, we decided, well, let's pool what little money we have left and book a flight to Florida. This is us based in Dublin at the time. And, and we met up with uh, just builders and realtors and property managers and, and brokers and, and, and figured out a way to, to promote distressed condos to, to our, our British and, and Irish database. And that was our kind of toehold in the Florida market, which eventually led to us and of all moving over there and just becoming full-time fix and flippers. Amazing story. Wow. Okay. So was there a large appetite for those properties to the British and Irish at the time? There was, um, because at the time, you might remember, Kathy, a lot of people were doing condo conversions back then where, where they bought an apartment community, uh, you know, fixed it up and then and sold them as, as individual condos. People made a lot of money doing that. They maybe spent, you know, 5 million buying a, 150 units, 2 million fixing them up and then sell them individually for 9 million after, you know, two, three years. So, but the financing for condos dried up totally in 2008 and nine, you went from being able to get 70, 80, 90% mortgages to being able to get nothing. I mean, it was cash buyers or nothing. So the values just fell off a cliff and, and we were, Kind of promoting stuff to overseas buyers for seventy, eighty thousand dollars that was retailing for two twenty, two thirty, just two or three years before, and these were tenanted condos in in gated communities built kind of mid two thousands with swimming pools and clubhouses and tennis courts, and they were, you know, selling for eighty five thousand bucks and rented for nine hundred bucks. So we were able to put. Uh, cash buyers from all over the world onto those. And we were lucky that we'd been building a database of investors for many, many years. And while there was a huge amount of distress in the economy, there was a lot of people who didn't really trust leaving their money in the banks. They didn't trust leaving it in Ireland or England, but they would trust putting it in the, the US economy and putting it in US dollars. And, put, and Florida obviously always had a lot of international name recognition. So we, we were thankfully able to find a lot of people uh, in those early days that would buy those condos for, for cash because they were, they were great investments and they were very safe investments. Well, how did you do it? Uh, we, I assume you both were not U.S. citizens at the time? No, we, we were overseas citizens and we were working with licensed realtors and brokers and property managers on the ground and, and we were getting an international marketing fee for, for promoting them. 
So you would promote the sale of these properties uh, and get a, a international referral fee, but you you weren't like buying them yourself. No, no, not at all. No, we didn't start buying stuff until after we moved over, and that's when we became just regular fix and flippers. Because after a few years, you know the the kind of quality of the condos that you could offer buyers just dropped dramatically. A lot of the big hedge funds came in, the high net worth buyers come in, whereas before you might be promoting kind of B-class stuff in Orlando for $85,000. After a few years, you're being offered C-minus or, or D-plus stuff for $100,000. And we're just, mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not promoting this stuff to investors. And there's, there's a better way of making money. And, and now we had a toehold in US market. So it was like, well, let's just pool some money, buy a single family home and, and see if we can fix it up. I mean, luckily David had some construction experience. He had a lot of construction experience from his time in, in New York managing commercial projects. And, and he was the ideal person to oversee that. I was more the kind of marketing guy. And um, it's just one deal at a time. Like, like most of the fix and flippers, you know, you, you start <laughs> off small, you buy one, you fix it up, you figure it out, you buy another two, you buy three, you, you hire crews, you get reputable inspectors and title agents and, you just build it up bit by bit. I think we did, you know, 12 or 13 the first year, which which we thought was loads. Uh, and it was a lot of work. And I actually think we worked harder doing those 12 or 15 than we would have done doing seven or eight times as much, you know, five or six years later. But we, we kind of built it up over the years. To, and where did you, know, you get well the money for, for those first 12? <sighs> yeah, good question. We I remember we bought a really nice house in St. Petersburg for about $200,000 and, and we rented it out to this local manager of the Vinoy Hotel. And because we bought it with cash, we were able to um, kind of get a kind of rolling line of credit on that house, which is worth about 400, I think. So we, I think we had a $300,000 line of credit from a high net worth investor who had a mortgage on that property. And, and we had a kind of a convoluted system for for drawing down money and buying it. But really the first, you know, half a dozen, I, I'm pretty sure we just used our own money for that. And we made sure that we had some experience and actually knew what we were doing before we actually had the the courage to ask someone else to start funding it. And, um, <laughs> but after that, yeah, it was, it was really that, that house on, on Snell Isle, which is a million dollar area of St. Petersburg now. Uh, we had a rolling line of credit on that one. And then after we had, you know, a couple of dozen under belts, there was, there's some private lenders that we were able to approach uh, kind of folks that had a lot of real estate experience, but maybe we were getting a little older now and just like the idea of putting their money to work on, on kind of three, four month mortgages. And uh, we just funded them that way and, and, and kind of built up a very nice list of private lenders over the years. That's, that's pretty key to, to anybody that wants to fix and flip a significant amount of homes because the hard money lenders charge you a lot of money. I mean, the professional lenders, really, the bureaucracy is, is terrible. The red tape is horrendous. Me being an overseas citizen didn't help at all. And um, it's just easier to deal with private money if you can and, and just give them the security of the first mortgage and pay them back quick. Well, I'm sure our listeners would like to know what that conversation sounded like. Okay, first of all, how did you find the high net worth people? And how did you get them to trust you? I mean, it's a relationship business. I mean, you 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 don't cold call people, that's for sure. Um, I mean, these were people that would have bought, uh, you know, would have bought a lot of properties that we would have met at real estate conferences that we would have stayed in touch with over the years that would have kept an eye on what we were doing. I was doing a lot of marketing at the time. So I used to put a lot of effort into doing newsletters, you know, detailed newsletters that I would send out every month. And we'd have lots of, you know, 
insights and before and after photos and, and, and kind of we'd, we'd give a lot of information about what we were doing in our journey and um, we just kind of became friendly with, with some successful business people and successful entrepreneurs that liked liked what we were doing that liked us personally and and when we approached him you know for for one loan uh, and, and had an obviously big detailed kind of package so here's here's what we're here's our track record here's what we're trying to buy, here's the renovation budget, here's the timelines, here's the interest rate, here's the sample mortgage agreement, here's the sample loan agreement, and you know, back all that up with our reputation and our word. And it, it wasn't that hard to convince them once you have a, an existing relationship and a very professional uh, presentation. Mm, I, I love that. Yeah, you, you make it easy for them. So you've got all yeah. the paperwork there, they don't have to ask for it. Uh, this perfect, yeah. So. Yeah. And securing their money in first lien position, like you yes, said. Yes, that's very important. And not being too greedy with the loan to value you're asking for and, and making sure they know that you have a lot of your own skin in the game, that you're putting your own money up as well, and uh, that they've got more than enough equity to, to cover themselves. So, yeah, you make it very, very easy. You give them a lot of peace of mind, a lot of security, lots of photos from previous and very similar homes that, that you've renovated in the past and just showing them that that you've done it with your own money multiple times uh, was was more than enough for for most people to be honest and they would they would try it probably once and it worked out and then got easier to write the check the second time yep once they saw that you know they just had to wire the money and and, and pop into a notary to to release the mortgage on resale uh, it, it's really very it's very hands-off uh, once they you kind of give them a, a package showing the, the comps and the links and the, the spreadsheets. I mean, they can spend five minutes looking at it or 45 minutes looking at it, depends on how much due diligence they want to do, but we gave them as much as, as they needed to. And uh, yeah, we tried to make the administration process very easy by working with, you know, very good title agents and good communicators that, that knew how to deal with, with private lenders. Yeah, perfect. Uh, mm -hmm. And what would they earn? Generally 8%. You know, eight percent and um, no, no points, no. Wow. You know, we, we we got very cheap money. Uh, I have to say, compared to less experienced wholesalers, I know there's a lot of people lending, including me. I lend money at, at much higher rates. I know. <laughs> I mean, ten percent will be my minimum. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I generally want to get twelve or more. Yeah. But, um, no, we got lucky, and and look for a lot for a professional real estate investor maybe eight percent isn't a lot but for somebody who's got a busy w-2 job maybe they might be a, a doctor or a business owner and just getting an eight percent monthly return and, and when you compare it to the you know 0.3.4 percent they're, they're getting in in the savings account or to, compared to the unpredictability of the stock market they might like you know you have a rolling credit line of three hundred thousand dollars that would earn you twenty four thousand dollars a year that's that's nice for a lot of people that pays for a lot of uh, vacations and yeah. know, whatever else you want to do with it so it, it was it was enough they probably knew they could get more but they would be probably lending to, to people they didn't know as well that were maybe doing more risky endeavors and, and the fact that we were kind of fixing up 1970s kind of block houses that were just cosmetic renovations kitchens floors bathrooms they're very straightforward we weren't taking on you know, eight month projects with a hundred year old frame homes uh, and, and just trying to guess what they might be worth. I mean, these are very straightforward, quick renovations. You're kind of in and out in, in kind of six to eight weeks and then in another four weeks to sell it. So they're very straightforward, 
uh, loans to make uh, compared to a lot of other stuff that that might be out there. Well, and that's one of the things I have always respected about you guys is you had a, a very clear buy box. You knew exactly what areas you were looking in and what price point and what kind of house, like you said, the block, center block. Mm -hmm. um, so how did you come up with that buy box? How did you know what you, you wanted to focus on? Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny how my lens started out super wide when I was in Ireland selling properties literally all over the world, oh, Eastern Lord. Europe, South America, France. I mean, wherever I could hop on a plane to, to kind of check out some deals, I would do it. And and we had moderate success, but we weren't successful by any means. But it's, it's funny, it's really only once I went kind of an inch wide and a mile deep and, and started buying hundreds of houses in, in this same kind of neighborhood that, that myself and, and, and David and Catherine had you know, genuine success and were able to scale because you can't really scale until you become an expert in, in a specific niche. And if you're kind of buying, you know, a multifamily over here and a hundred year old frame house over here and in a mobile home and in a single family in this neighborhood and another one 30 miles away, it's just impossible to, to do any scale. I mean, you're, you can't, can't do it. But once you have, if you locate a great neighborhood where you have a lot of lower middle class rentals, where you have a lot of properties outside of flood zones, concrete block construction built in the last kind of 30, 40 years, and they were affordable, you know, literally under, under $150,000 for the most part, that's something you can scale and replicate and, and you can get a lot of in, investor interest in those. And, and it's, it's a lot easier to sell, you know, 10 properties a month if you're selling to investors rather than trying to list 10 properties a month on the MLS, because that's a little more, those buyers are a little more fickle and, and emotional and, and can kind of cancel because, you know, the insurance bill was 300 bucks a year higher than they thought it was. I mean, so, you know, you need to line up the ingredients. A lot of it was luck, you know, meeting you at a single family home conference in Miami back in 2016 was, was a big catalyst on us being able to, to scale, you know, because you're, you're the real wealth network had, had buyers that were just so, well-informed, uh, so receptive to, to the market information, so action-orientated, and uh, that just made it a lot easier for us to focus on, well, let's, let's see how many of these we can buy. And then once we started figuring out how to, to buy into foreclosure auctions, that gave us access to a lot more inventory instead of trying to compete on the MLS or compete with wholesalers that were trying to offer deals that were too skinny. Well, we're so happy we found you too. Now, sadly, uh, many of those deals became harder and harder to find and inventory started to dry up in the way that you had been doing it. So when did that start yeah. and how is it now? Yeah, it, I mean, inventory, I mean, inventory was getting tight even before COVID. I mean, it's, it's been getting tighter for the last three years, really. And, and prices have been going higher. As you know, I, I was paying more for unrenovated houses than I was for selling renovated houses, you know, three, four years ago, if you know what I mean. So I was looking, I buy a lot of properties in the foreclosure auctions in Pasco County, which is north of Tampa. And I had a look at October, 2020, there were 66 auctions scheduled. Obviously a lot of those got canceled, but if you compare that to October last year, we had 149 in October last year. And if you go back to 2016, it was over 300 in October, 2016. And in October, 2014, it was 450 in that month and last month was 66. So it's just a tiny percentage, like literally 15, 20% of what they were. And, you know, don't even get me started on May, June, July when there were like nothing happening at all. So it was, it's inventory dried up. And I think a lot of your providers across the country would say the same thing. And, and some of them transitioned into to new build and new construction for that reason, because trying to find 
existing inventory that you could purchase for a good price and sell renovated with a strong cash flow got a lot harder. And I, I do suspect that will, will change for the better in 2021, but we're not, it's not like we're going to see a tidal wave of foreclosures either. I, I think the market can absorb two, three, 400% increase in foreclosures from such a low, low base. Um, but yeah, we've, we've been yeah. buying, or I've been buying just a very small amount the last three, four months compared to, you know, this time last year or the year before. And that's how the media is so deceiving because they can say oh, foreclosures have doubled and everybody freaks out and thinks we're going to get flooded with foreclosures yeah. when in reality it would be still a tiny percentage of what it had been. I saw that on, on an article, maybe on Bigger Pockets or something. They're saying for Florida is one of the nation's worst in foreclosure increases. And I'm like, well, look at the numbers. I mean, you're comparing them to June or July. You've increased fifty percent from June to October. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. Because, but they're still about twenty percent of what they were last year, and, and foreclosures are still in, incredibly low. And and I mean, the unemployment and and is going to cause issues. I guess the evictions are going to cause issues. But I don't see people defaulting on their mortgages causing issues because there's so much equity has been built up over the last 10 years it's just incredible and, and there's anybody struggling to to repay their mortgage can just sell their house and, and, and just put it on the market you know? and someone will pay for it and they'll walk away with a bunch of money they're not going to hand that equity over to the bank you, you'll get a full price offer like two days later at, at record high prices you know uh, my my St. Petersburg property, I think I get a text or a call or a letter or an email every other day of somebody wanting to buy it. And that's one of the other issues with inventory, especially in your area, because I've been telling everybody for a long time that the area between Tampa and Orlando is the fastest growing in the country. Uh, so mm -hmm. a really good place to invest. And we're not the only ones who think that. Uh, the I buyers have been very, very active there. So with 60 yeah. foreclosures in a month, I mean, how quickly are those gobbled up? And very quickly. And, and, and you know, I've, I've sold property to some of these I buyers, you know, properties I bought in foreclosure in, in kind of August and September when, you know, just a light renovation. I mean, literally paint and flooring and, and I've, I've listed on the MLS myself and, and you'll get the I buyers, you know, Blackstone and Invitation Homes uh, and a lot of them that that went out of the market from kind of February through the summer came came back again in September and October and, and they're they're employing teams of 24 year old kids to fire in full price offers on everything that gets listed so it's very hard for regular buyers homeowners to compete never mind kind of in investors um, so it's it's tough there's a lot of money out there Kathy and there's there's a lot of money chasing everything and and you know real wealth uh, network investors are, are lucky that you've got your finger on the pulse and have access to people that can supply good inventory because if, if you didn't have that resource and you're just kind of relying on your own wits and checking Zillow and, and everything else, you'd really struggle to get a good house. And, and if you did buy one, you, you, you know, your chances of getting burned because, you know, so much deferred maintenance or unacknowledged kind of sinkhole repairs or, or whatever else, there's, there's all sorts of stuff that, that you can lose your shirt on when you're, you're kind of buying rentals out of state without, Kind of local teams that you know well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're really lucky that we have such a loyal uh, group of property teams that set aside inventory for us uh, because mm -hmm. they want to stay with us for the long haul. Because like you said, we have educated, eager buyers who want to build that portfolio. So um, is it? We're, we're very lucky. Now, I want to get to the part of the story where you are now choosing to truly live what we call real wealth, which is uh, knowing that you have 
a limited amount of time. There's kind of an unlimited amount of money out there. Like you said, you've been able to tap into private lenders who uh, there's no limit to what you could borrow. Um, but there's a limit to time and there's a huge yeah. limit to the time that your children are young. They grow up so quickly. Yeah. So you've made a decision recently. Tell us what you're doing and how real estate is helping you achieve it. Yeah, you're you're right. I did. And yeah, I've got two kids. Uh, David is 10, Andrea is eight. So kind of third and fifth grade. And obviously the schools closed in, back in, in early March. And I was just kind of homeschooling for months. My wife is from, from Spain and, and, you know, I lived in Spain with her for 10 years and the kids were, were kind of brought up in Spain their first early years. So I was the guy that had to do the, the schoolwork and, and I was just doing it full time. And there I went from kind of working virtually on my own for the last 10 years to having everybody in the house and being pestered with, with homework and schoolwork and, and just what's going on in the world, what's going on with real estate, what's what's going on with my parents in Ireland or my in-laws in, in Madrid, Spain. So there's just a huge shift in, in my priorities. And I've been working my tail off kind of nonstop from my early 20s to my early 40s. And it was just like, well, let's let's slow down here and let's just try and reorientate my, my priorities. And I decided to, well, I'm, I'm going to take a step back kind of family first, isn't it, you know? And, and as I said, well, what's good for my family? I was fortunate enough that I'd built up some passive income streams through real estate. I'd, I'd earned some money. I had some cash sitting there that I was able to lend out and, and increase the passive income streams. And I just took a step back and, and literally didn't didn't do any any anything in, in real estate for about three or four months. Uh, and just, I set up a podcast just to keep myself busy and, and to keep myself plugged in and got some nice guests. But I was mostly... Just spending time with with my family, just getting up with them, having breakfast with them, walking to school with them, picking up from school, bringing them back, bringing them to all their sports, playing sports with them, doing the gymnastics on the TV with them during lockdown, just smelling the roses, really. And and now I'm it's just I've got a new lease of life. I really love it. I'm, I'm kind of buying a couple of houses here and there myself that I'm just doing light light renovations listing them on the MLS to retail buyers or the big i buyers whoever whoever wants them uh, I'm trying to increase my my rental portfolio I'm trying to lend a bit of money I'm, I'm doing a lot more studying and homework that I would have felt guilty about doing just researching you know land deeds and land taxes and, and flipping plots of land and creating income streams through seller financing I'm just doing a whole lot of other stuff that I would have felt guilty doing because I had I had a business to run and I had a, a big pipeline to, to keep busy. So it's it's been a crazy year, Kathy, for me and, and God knows for everybody else. But I'm very happy with the decision I made and, and just this kind of slowing down from fifth gear to, to third gear has done me a world of good. Well, as we sit here on the week of Thanksgiving and look back at 2020, I, I had thought at the beginning of this, we are being forced to slow down. And yeah. for so many people, we didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to do that. I was on an airplane every week. I, my home was a hotel room and uh, my car was an Uber. I, I was traveling all the time and didn't know how to stop that uh, because the opportunities were phenomenal. I, I had to do it, you know? And, yeah. Um, yeah. and so I was forced to stay home. And at first I thought, boy, I'm going to be bored out of my mind. But all of a sudden, I, just like you, I had a shift. What really matters, what my priorities are. I've got a grandson now. My daughter just got married. I, I'm, yeah, so I've, I've got a grandson and a son-in-law. And uh, these are my priorities, spending more time with my husband, doing things that we would never have had time to do. Like you said, now we're, we're doing little 
rock gardens and mm-hmm. <laughs> little succulent gardens and yeah um learning I about enjoy like, Tampa for the first time renting a boat with with my wife on a, on a Friday morning just to go out and spend the day cruising around Tampa Bay we're also planning to move back to Spain next year so that's a big one that I'm just trying to design a new work-life balance that will have me living in Europe next year and we're renovating a house in Madrid at the moment from Tampa so that's keeping us busy as well so there's there's just so much other stuff going on that I just would not have time to do if I was in my, my previous lifestyle. If I hadn't taken that step back, um, it just wouldn't have happened. You know, it would have been on the same treadmill until my 50s and 60s. So I'm kind of glad I, I'm very fortunate and privileged to have obviously had the opportunity to step backwards. I, I totally acknowledge that not everybody would have that choice, you know, available to them. So, you know, real yeah. estate has been a godsend to me in that sense and then maybe that's just one of the reasons why we love real estate so much it can give you so many options to yes. create your own lifestyle that that is is very difficult to de- to replicate in any other industry that that's it exactly that is it exactly it's so many options to just even rent out a room when you're if, if you're strapped I and mean, we we rent out, uh, we have an Airbnb on our property that helps cover almost all the expenses. So there are so many options that um, do allow us to, to have more freedom. And that is why we're passionate about it for sure. I just hope that the last six months or eight months has helped a lot of people gather their thoughts, remember what's most important, get off of that rat race, the, the track, the not, you know, just what am I trying to say? The the wheel, (laughs) the hamster wheel. The hamster Um, wheel, that's it, yeah. And just slow down, look around and remember what matters most. And it's just usually right there in front of us and usually free. (laughs) Yeah. So it's easier to scale down than scale up as well. That's right. Well, Colin, it's been really a pleasure to have you back here on The Real Well Show. I wish you the best in your uh, new adventures. When you land in Spain and... And if Spain becomes a great market for investing, you let us know. Yeah. We want to I'll, I'll be keeping an eye out for opportunities, that's for sure. Yeah, Wonderful. thank you very much for having me, Kathy. Thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. If you'd like to learn more about our property teams in Florida, Texas, Georgia, the Carolinas, Indiana, and Ohio, visit our website at realwealthshow.com. You'll find lots of data on the cities we believe have the highest cash flow and best chance of appreciation due to strong demographic shifts these days. You can also schedule a call with one of our real estate investment counselors for free when you join. And it's free to join. Again, you can do that at realwealthshow.com.